Welcome to Season 13 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Don Wetterick. Before we get started, I wanted to apologise to Don for the delay in getting this episode out into the world. We recorded it some time ago. Don is an author, TEDx speaker, an educator and an influential podcaster. He is also the founder and CEO of the Start Ed Up Foundation, a non-for-profit focused on encouraging students to view the world through the lens of entrepreneurship. He is well versed in the realm of innovation, entrepreneurship and the importance of arming students with the skills and the networks they need to succeed. In his spare time, he enjoys spending time with his wife of 27 years, Alicia, and their three children. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging conversation as I did with the incredible Don Wetterick. Don Wetterick, thank you, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a it's a privilege uh, to speak to you. Where are you phoning from? Indianapolis, Indiana, here in the states. Nice probably best known for our motor speedway the indy 500 are you a uh, a bit of a rev head as we call them um kind of you know it's so funny when 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 you're used to it you know you can't take it for granted probably like when we visit you guys we're like oh my gosh a kangaroo and you're like mm-hmm, yeah, yeah it's yeah we, yay <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny it's, it's like that isn't it like i think when not, obviously not at the moment uh considering uh what's going on with covid um in around the world but especially in australia um but when we do have uh friends coming from overseas they're always so excited to see the opera house and to see a kangaroo and and to be honest you know you kind of get familiar it's probably the same way with some of the things in the states like i uh, absolutely yeah so uh have you um so did, did you grow up kind of going to speedways? Is it sort of part of the, the culture over there or? Oh, I, you know, I, we're probably known more for basketball and our hysteria over high school basketball. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went to the track quite a bit as a kid and, and do from time to time. So nice. But yeah, it's fun stuff. Nice. It sounds, uh, I know that um, college sport, especially college basketball, is uh, absolutely huge over in the States. We have nothing to that even compares to it. But what, what's that experience like going along to uh, college basketball games in Indiana? College and high school, really. It's yeah. uh, like we're one year we had a high school basketball game uh, that filled the stadium full of 70,000 people to watch 17 and 18 year olds play basketball so it's a different thing here altogether yeah but uh no it's it's fun and then our college tournament a lot of times is held in indianapolis we just hosted it uh this this last year and and what is called the ncaa the ncaa headquarters is here in indianapolis as well so Fantastic. very sports uh enthusiastic city I love um, my perception uh, of americans is that when they commit to something they commit they're all in and so uh, yes. I, I love that. I love that passion. I love that excitement. And it's something which I think we can really learn from in Australia. We, we tend to be quite relaxed and so uh, don't really commit to anything, unfortunately. Well, you'll, you'll hear me and my opinions be very committed tonight about education. How about good. that? Good. I think there's good things to be committed to. Um, uh, probably the most important uh, question, Don, for when I can finally uh, get over to Indianapolis and, and buy you a coffee. Uh, what is your coffee order? Oh, pretty basic. Uh, ever since I, I went to um, Medellin, Colombia, yeah. some Colombian coffee. And, you know, I, I made the mistake of off, uh, of ordering coffee there with cream. And they all stared at me like everybody stopped and looked at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. So if I'm going to order now a rich coffee, I just I enjoy it the way it is. So yeah. just plain Colombian coffee. Fantastic. So straight to the point, no mucking around, strong. Nice. Yeah. I realized how much stronger it is there than it is Cafe Americano, for sure. Fantastic. Um, just uh, out of interest, on um, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, uh, obviously your family is welcome, but they're, they're, they're 
their head count doesn't count towards the numbers. Um, who would be there? Who's someone you'd love to sit down and have a meal with? Oh. Uh, seeing that we're going to be talking about education, probably Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, he's fairly <laughs> opinionated about education. His mom was a teacher and, uh, and seems like an all-around good guy. So probably Dave Grohl. Do you think that there are a lot of similarities between uh, your views on education and Dave's, or would you sit him there so that you could have a robust and diverse conversation? I think little both. Uh, obviously, he's probably got more insights and opinions on music education, but uh, I like the way people think, and I've enjoyed the way he thinks. Yeah. So that or Simon Sinek. I enjoy the way Simon thinks and, and yeah. how he views leadership. Is there anybody else that you are kind of looking at at the moment in terms of uh, in the sphere of education and thinking, wow, they're really, sorry, there's probably a lot of people, but anyone in particular that you think, wow, they're really doing something uh, unusual and interesting? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that mm, I don't want to turn dark. I, I, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that there's some that I think that they've showcased that they've done a really good job marketing what they've done. And I'd like to hear if it's working or if it's great marketing. Yeah. I, I think uh, and, I, and I always tip my hat at those trying to do things differently. I've just from time to time seen things that are really drastically different. And um, the school building may look really beautiful, uh, but I always am interested to see the student outcomes to see what they've created to really uh, gain an insight on, on, on what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's from my point of view, um, it, it seems like there's a lot of noise around really great fads and there's a lot of very pretty looking things and well-written or, or programs that, that visually are quite appealing. But are you saying that the most important thing is obviously, which I think we would agree on, the learning that's happening inside the classroom? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, I and, and again, like, I'm not dismissing any yeah. other school, but like I've seen some schools that they put a lot of money into the architecture yeah. and into the furniture and into the whiteboards. And I love it. I love every second of it. They put a lot of money into, into 3d printers, CNC machines. But if I don't like, if it's window dressing and I don't really see the students have, you know, engaged with it or there's any outcomes then I'm skeptical. Yeah. Really, really, really interesting. So when you think of the term innovation, uh, what what comes to mind? Once again, a very broad question. Addressing Over, overused and cliche. Interesting. Okay, what about the term? I, I mean, like, because the, the term gets thrown around a lot. And I, I think what you need is a, is a discussion of what do you think innovative is? I mean, you know, um, I've been some places and they were very proud that, you know, they took pictures of their worksheets and put it on, canvas and they're like that's so innovative i'm like no that's a worksheet that is still digitized mm. and like that's not that's not innovative yeah it's, yeah. it's a worksheet um yeah so and, and so like what what do i think innovative is i think taking a step back and saying you know why are we here like what is the purpose of the school day um i think the most obvious and cliche answer is is that you know to prepare students for the future okay great what is the future what does that look like what are the jobs of the future? What is on the way out? What can we look at statistically that is near its end or is done already and say, okay, are we still doing that? Because if we're preparing them for the future, you know, this may or may not be innovative. And yeah. so that's, yeah. It's really, really interesting. And, and I just wanted to have a, um, just a really quick uh, a conversation, sorry, conversation about a quote that you said, and I find this fascinating. You said that, and please, uh, Please correct me if I have misquoted you. I can't stand that when people say I've said something and I haven't said it. Um, but you say opportunities are everywhere. So this is a phrase that I say over and over again, and I mean it, but not right now. So what do you mean by that? And why is now not the time that you're seeing this? Well, the not right now, I'm not sure what context that was, but like the, the are almost... <laughs> Our battle cry in this class that I started and, and now what we're starting with statewide is that the opportunities are everywhere. They're like constant. Um, whenever you hear somebody complain, I, I think at the, end, at the end of the day, it's kind of what our theme was, like see problems as opportunities. Mm. And, and there are plenty of problems in the world. Yeah. Lots yeah. of problems. Yeah. Um, it's just that I've seen this 
this mindset that is contrary to that, that, you know, the world is full of terrible things and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm like, no, that's, and, 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 but again, not discrediting that there aren't problems in the world, but entrepreneurs see problems as opportunities. That's it. Yeah. Whether that's, whether that's a, a service or an app or an event, um, they listen to people complain and then they do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think reframing is so important. I mean, I have been criticized of many things in my career and being overly optimistic is one of those. Um, but I do think um, opportunity, sorry, problems present some of the, the greatest opportunities. And I, are you sort of saying that we need, as educators or as, 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 as obviously teachers of students, we need to make, we need to teach that mindset to our kids to actually look for the possibilities. Um, I think it's, it's, it's so important. And I think also, Don, what, what sort of saddens me a little bit is that I, I spent many of my years uh, teaching kindergarten um, and innovation and creativity is not something which we have to teach children. It is something that you just look at. I mean, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and yesterday, our four-year-old just made what she called a magical world, a magical forest out of bits of wood that she found and fairies and shells and things we found down the beach. And it really made me stop and think, okay, like our natural state is one of, is one of um, being innovatives, in, in, sorry, innovators and creatives. Do you think that we kind of educate kids out of this, uh, uh, this innovation? And, and of course. Why is yeah. it just easier to conform? Well, because you, so at that age, the creativity is done because that's what they want to do. Yeah. Then they learn how to please you. And the game of school is not one of creativity. It is yeah. one of compliance and taking orders. Yeah. So we have these if then scenarios. If I say the things you want to hear, then you give me an A because the A is rewarded. Mm. Like if you're creative, somebody's like, well, that may be wrong. Um, that's the problem. So when you start taking away fun, creative time in preparation for standardized test prep, the kids are like, oh, so that's what you want. And they shift focus on what you say you want out of them. So yeah. creativity gets pushed aside and, and you yeah. know, we make that. And then quite frankly, the joy I mean, I'm sure it's no different in Australia, but statistically, we, we keep these stats, but st traditionally and statistically, they've shown that students stop liking school at around age eight or nine, which ironically enough for a lot of places in third grade here in the United States is when they start a lot of testing and then they take away some of the fun creative time. So, you know. Is that why you, you argue that, that middle school is the Jan Brady of education? Uh, I thought I'm that was so a glad. I'm so glad you found that quote. Oh, I, I, can I just say, uh, Don, if you're willing to give me an hour of your time, the very least I can do is to read your material. But I, I read that and uh, highlighted it, wrote it out. Um, I thought it was fascinating. But why did you? Why did you draw that assumption? Oh, because so, because they don't. So first of all, I taught middle school for ten years. I taught high school for eleven. Elementary is is um cindy brady she's cute like parents are really involved at the elementary levels they still really care the high school levels the sports and that you're getting ready for college and so it's super serious that in the middle is what gets overlooked just like jan and no matter what you know <laughs> it was either cute cindy or marcia 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 and i always felt that and again i taught that level for 10 years and like I always thought we got the worst ends of everything. Like all the testing always fell down. Like a, a, every grade in middle school seemed to have a testing component and it just, it was thankless. Like I, I personally think the hardest grades to teach are in middle school. Yeah. And for, uh, for those people that are not based uh, in the U S uh, what <laughs> age is a middle school? Well, um, probably like what then uh middle of 11 12 13 yeah. Yeah. yeah depending on when you start but yeah anywhere between like 11 to 13 and and do you think uh do you think there's a correlation between the uh initiation of testing and and student uh, decline in student engagement well i mean and plus yes and, and and plus it's just a hard age like they're just really confused figuring out themselves yeah um it's just it's a tough age 
But at the same time, like it's filled with a lot of emotion, a lot of passion. I, I loved it. Um, But again, I think the reason why I made that quote is, is that it seems though that elementary gets a lot of attention and high school gets a lot of attention and middle school, this kind of gets forgotten. That sounds like a, a pretty good book title. So if you want to write a book of it, that'd be amazing. I, I saw that and thought, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. That's brilliant. It's a, it's a really, really wonderful quote. And Don, I, I'm just curious, let's take it back a little bit. Like, what was your experience like uh, in school? I mean, you, you seem like someone that is endlessly curious and um, uh, respectfully have quite, has quite strong opinions. And was that something <laughs> which was, uh, was that nature or nurture? Yeah, so <laughs> so in, in some ways, man, and I, I hope actually in some ways my sister does listen to this. Uh, my sister was perfect. She's older than me by two years, got straight A's. Um, I was not my sister. I, I, I probably questioned too many things. Yeah. Um, and then, and I have been blessed with a son that is just like me. He loves learning he brings up all sorts of facts and things that he learned off of YouTube. Matter of fact, he's been doing deep dives on what NFTs are and all these other things, but school um, sometimes is a struggle. And, and I got good enough grades because kind of like, I, I think that there's a lot of times teachers, kids are kind of like preachers or cops kids, you know, they're either, you know, I, so I, I was a good kid. My grades weren't the best, but um, I did question a lot of things. And, but my dad was a teacher, so I didn't like the teacher doesn't like me, doesn't, didn't fly in my family. Like I had to get good grades or there, there were consequences. So the grades I had to, and I did okay. Not like not as good as my sister, but uh, (laughs) I, I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. And I'm just, um, I'm just curious, Don, like, uh, so do you think it's important to continue to ask these questions? Um, because like, I, I, I mean, I do, I, of course I believe that, but it's so, it's so interesting. Cause I think as we get older and I feel like that as well, like I'm a little younger than you, but I, I do feel like as I get older, there are certain tracks that we, we continue to go down. We, we pursue a uh, university or college and then get a, a respectable job and then pay off a house. And um, how do we re- uh, remain sort of continuously curious and ask these questions because it's such an important skill. Yeah, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, we don't have a choice. There's not many careers out there that don't require mm. continued ed and, and God bless it. Yeah, I'm all for that. Um, I, I think that actually this is this could also be a title of, of maybe another book, but I, I'm, I'm a born again educator. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I started teaching really in the late 90s, I think 97, um, 98, but like what is it until like 2000 and like eight where I came across Daniel Pink's Ted talk. Yeah. And that was like, literally that Ted talk was the beginning of my innovation and open source learning class. And, you know, I didn't know who Simon Sinek was, but I discovered it. I didn't know who Tom Bilyeu was, but I discovered it. I didn't know who Tina Selig was, but like I, I jumped into this rabbit hole of innovation and that was all because I had an awakening. Yeah. So Again, like whether whether your thing is to get into music or yours is a hobby, like I, I just I and I pity people that live for the weekends. And and that's all that's like their purpose is watching their sports team. It's funny. We started talking about sports. But like, <laughs> I, I think that if you have that interest of wanting to sharpen a skill or try something new, you always I don't know, man, your, your, your brain is 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 more fresh. And I think that you're enjoying life more. So, you know, I would say to any adult, um, like literally try something new, pick up an instrument, um, start reading a book that actually uh, Stephen Kotler just wrote about it in his last book of like deliberately picking um, a book that you're deeply interested in, but you can go two levels higher, like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, some sort of a, you know, astro, you know, astrology or physiology or something, or deliberately pick up a book that you know that you'll disagree with but read it anyway to see if you can get a new perspective i think that that's awesome yeah and and is there um is there something that you are currently trying or something that you are currently reading or engaging with that is either 
um, and really difficult or something that is that you fundamentally disagree with? Uh, mm, I'm running a nonprofit for the first time in my life, and <laughs> okay, that is it, more yeah. of a challenge than I ever thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that is there's things that I disagree with that I'm currently doing. Um, or maybe, yeah. sorry, maybe like material that you are reading that is in, maybe a better question uh, is, is there something that you are reading that is causing you to expand and change your perspective? Yeah, actually. <laughs> Uh, again, probably more focused around um, nonprofits and how they run. Yeah. Um, total novice, and 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 really, even I've had to get over my feelings of inferiority, of uh, what was they call it, imposter syndrome. <laughs> that uh, I went from being a classroom teacher to um, running a fairly large um, initiative statewide and running a nonprofit. So it's been more difficult than I thought. Do you think that you are, um, are you getting better at embracing that kind of discomfort or that uncertainty? Is it something? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Because I, I man, know. I've actually never, I've never shared this story. Um, this is in, uh, hot off the it, press. <laughs> in between, um, and I'm almost uncomfortable talking about it. Uh, in between. So I taught for middle, I taught middle school for 10 years. And then I had kind of a little existential crisis is that I didn't feel like what I was doing. I was challenged. I get bored easy. Um, and matter of fact, like throughout my career, I've invented a new class or I've started a film fest or I've done, I mean, like I, I have to, yeah. Yeah. I like at age I'm in my late forties. They didn't have the term attention deficit disorder when I was a kid, but I'm fairly certain I had it. Um, that I being my said, wife, I, my wife thinks that I am on as we all are on some spectrum. Uh, so I, I, but I think that's fine with that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, and so I, uh, have always loved financial planning. Um, I love, I love, uh, financial management and I was doing it a lot for other teachers and I was, you know, uh, instructing them on how to open up a 529 count or a 427 count for teachers or, you know, why Roth is superior to a traditional IRA and what wow. portfolios to look at. And so anyway, a, a friend of mine convinced me to, to leave teaching and, um, and to get my license and, and be um, a financial planner. And uh, I left my teaching position and right as I started, the complete financial collapse of 2008 started. And uh, um, it yeah. was not... But as fate would have it, it was terribly timed and perfectly timed yeah. because I, I basically left May 29th and by August 1st, the writing on the wall was, is that like this industry is going to, there was a long story of that mm. firm and what it was, what was going to happen. And so it actually gave me enough time that I was like, maybe I can run back and ask for my old job back. Well, they they're like sorry man like school starts in three days and as fate would have it uh a school that wasn't too far from me was like hey somebody quit last night do you know how to run um basically a, a student television station and I've, and i said of course i do and i did not which which is um, what you would say in a job interview of course i can and no, don't break right. that's like okay. right. so you're right i i went from a really at times rewarding but no longer challenging um middle school um, position to being a financial planner for all of, of two months to finding myself uh, trying to figure it out. And then, and then really that, that television and broadcasting and freshman English class was the beginnings eventually of the innovation class, which honestly kickstarted my third different career um, into Kickstarter. And, and then really what got me acquainted with Dan Pink and some of these other people yeah, because you know. his his work is is incredibly inspirational, um, and and I, I I just I consume everything that he read, uh, writes, talks about, and I think why um why why is his work so meaningful to you? Um, why not? Sounds terrible. <laughs> That's from the other it sounds terrible. Like I, first of all, because he responded. Totally. Um, you know, I was just naive enough because again, like I hadn't fallen in because this is what, like 2008, maybe it's 2009, I forget or when that TED talk came out, but like, I was just naive enough to go, Hey, I, I should call that guy and let him know that I'm like some of these things he talked about in the TED talk, I'm going to try. 
And he got back and he's like, that's cool. How can I help? And like really that, that endorsement um, really opened up a lot of doors. Wow. And, and, and then, and then quite frankly, I'm, I'll always um, fully admit, you know, I'm writing on the shoulders of student giants. Yeah. You know, that class turned into such a behemoth and, and, and it wasn't for everybody, but it was so new and it was so unusual that a lot of entrepreneurs were like, where was this when I was 16? And so we were getting endorsed by some of the, you know, bigger name, you know, innovator and entrepreneurs because just the class itself of like, you're letting students do what? What's the name of the class? Nuh-uh, that's pretty cool. And that opened up more doors than I could fathom. And for those people that are not familiar with the class that you uh, that that you ran, uh, sure. what is it, and where can people find more about it? Sure. So um, it went through a couple of iterations, but essentially, what we now call as Genius Hour, really, Dan was talking about in that TED talk, and that was Google Time or you know what they did at Atlassian, and that was one day a week the employers could chase a skill or a passion that they wanted to learn. They just had to report what they did. And so I did this, I did that for, you know, a couple of months. And then I asked the next year if I could have my own class, we eventually called it innovation and open source learning innovation because we wanted our students to learn how to think for themselves, learn how to backward design, learn how to find metrics, learn what a key performance indicator is um, and then work backwards. So you told me what you wanted to do with that hour and a half. And then if I didn't know how to teach it, then it became open source learning. Wow. Because if a student goes, hey, I want to code a basic game, put it on the app store and see if I can make you know, a couple bucks in the process. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. And that's okay. Because if we taught long enough, we know a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. we open source it. Yeah. Um, so essentially, I was like, a, a lot of it was just mindset and getting over the, you know, how do I get an A? I don't know. To, like, what do you really want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And what do you really want to do? That's how you get an A. And if, and if you said that you deserve an A, I'll give you an A. But like, I want you to have some outcomes out of this. Yeah. And so like, and again, some of our straight A students struggled with the, like, what do you mean? Like the choice of it all. And then some of my academically, the lowest GPA students, a lot of them did really well. And so it, it, I'm writing the second book on that because the beginnings of my first book were right when I kickstarted that class off. And then honestly, all, a lot of the success stories that came out of those classes were after the book. <laughs> that's, um, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, you talked about um, sort of your, your time being a born again educator and, and sort of this, uh, in many ways, this awakening of, of what education was and the possibilities. Um, did you find it a challenge uh, for students to essentially unlearn some of the lessons that they had been taught in a more traditional education system? And how how did you begin to encourage them to, to rebuild those skills of thinking for themselves and innovating within your classroom? Um, yes, I had <laughs> a very difficult yep. time. Well, so I'm just like remembering I had this one young lady, she was so nice. Um, but she came up to me and it was, it was near the end of the first semester. And she was like, Hey, Mr. Wetrick. And cause really on the grading, you gave me a proposal and then you were reflecting on the proposal you gave me. And then I let you assess what you think you deserved. Well, kids grade themselves harder than I do a lot of times. And so anyways, near the end of the semester, and she's like, well, I'm just kind of nervous. This is the only uh, B I have. I have straight A's and one B plus, and that's in your class. And I went, awesome. Do you want an A? Well, I mean, yeah, but like, I don't know if I deserve it. I'm like, if you want an A, I'll give it to you. And she's like, well, what do I need to do? I said, achieve the things that you said you wanted to achieve. The reason why you gave yourself some C's and some B's throughout this thing is that the goals you set out, Mm -hmm. you told me what I wanted to hear, but in your own assessment, you really weren't achieving what you wanted to do. You're just acting busy and shuffling papers and wanting to get an A. And I'm like, but if it's an A you want, man, I don't want to, I don't want to stress you out an A you shall get. And that was um, like, like she felt bad, but she still, she's like, okay. As a matter of fact, I think that, um, uh, there is a documentary out there. Was it Waiting for Superman? 
It was oh. one of those documentaries where, oh. where they asked the kids, like, would you rather basically get an A and, and do test prep, making sure you got a good SAT score? Or would you rather use class time pursuing something that you really love? And like almost all of them said, oh, get an A for a test prep. It's like, it made me sad because like it, it, we have this, our most precious asset other than health, which is time. We can, we can get so many things done in a day if we're just given the opportunity and the time. And I'm like, this is your time. This is the most selfish class in the world. It is literally about you. What do you want to do? Well, I want to get an A. To do what? Well, to, I don't know, get a good job. Great. What do you want to do when you get a job? Um, I don't know. My dad says I'm really good at arguing, so maybe I should be a lawyer. Is that what you want to do? I mean, I don't know. They've never given themselves the time to even understand who they are, realize what their strengths are. And like that was the most depressing thing to me is that they didn't know who they were. And and and, and some never did. They never got over that. But, wow. you know, it, it, it seems incredible that we I know the, uh, the university system and the college system in the States. It's very different uh, to in Australia. Um, but over here, we basically choose a degree or a qualification that is. Um, obviously tied to a profession. So if you want to go into dentistry, you have 18 year olds um, enrolling in a dentistry course. And I, I just think that that whole concept is just ridiculous because I still don't really know what I want to do. And I'm a grown up with responsibilities, a mortgage and two children. And so do you think it's unrealistic to ask children at such a young age to uh, define what career they want? I mean, yes and no. I, I, like this. So I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Cool. Some people like just the comfort of being told what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like I, I am not that way, um, but I understand why some people are. I, I just saw like this, this, this meme of one lion that was in the, you know, in the jungle, so to speak. And another one was in a zoo and it said one does not have any, security of food or shelter or security one is fed routinely and everything is taken care of which one do you think is happier yeah that's that's and there are some that go i don't want to worry about anything i want everything taken care of i would prefer that if you just told me what to do for the rest of my life some people that is their thing and that is fine and, but the thing is like like that school model has been rewarding those people that like certainty mm, the people that yeah. don't like this this certainty and, and then i think that's probably why i've had such a fascination with entrepreneurs they loved learning they didn't necessarily like school because they're like you know i look at and he's very opinionated and, and he's very well quoted but you know gary vaynerchuk you know straight dnf students He's a guy here in the States and, and very no, outspoken. He, I, I know his work well. He's, um, yeah, he's yeah. very opinionated, but, but in many ways, very right. About. Very much so. I mean, he he's in some ways, he's sometimes, for, for educators, sometimes he's a bit much and I understand why, but, you know, he loved learning. He just didn't like school. And, and I think that um, trying to convince 200 years of background of sit down, shut up, and everything will take care of itself is a daunting task yeah. because the data or the history is on their side. The new data coming out, we're just now starting to realize that maybe there's something there. Maybe that college debt that you're carrying may not have been a great idea after all. But parents my age are the, I think parents my age are the last generation that is going to guilt force their kids to go to college. Yeah. I think that parents younger, like that are in their thirties, they're going to be like, go to college. Don't go to college. I want you to be happy. Um, I think that's that next wave is going to be there because the culture of school and the culture of just shut up and get through it yeah. is I think starting to wind down. Can I ask, uh, I know for me uh, being a parent of two uh, very opinionated, very strong-minded, uh, wonderful girls um, who I'm in, incredibly proud of um, has really transformed the way that I view education and learning and the role of schools. Um, would you mind maybe uh, talking a little bit about, about the impact of being a parent and what that has been on, for, been like for you? And also you talked about before about your generation of parents being the ones yeah. that sort of pressurize their kids. I mean, how do you approach some of these issues? Man. So I Parenting should almost hard. ask my wife, 
I should almost ask my wife to come in here yeah. um, because my oldest uh, at first, very entrepreneurially minded, yeah. um, didn't want to go to college. Yeah. And um, my wife was like, but what's your plan? Um, we, we have been absolutely fortunate enough to be very, so as, as an educator, we're not swimming in money, but I've been very disciplined and I've, I started saving for her college, um, before she was born, to be honest with you, as soon as, as soon as we were pregnant, we literally started a college savings account. That's that financial Um, background that you talk about. I love financial planning. And so I'm like, Ava, like you can go. It's because she's heard me complain about the price of college and whether it's worth it. And, and so here in one side, I'm like, and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to college. I'm saying that you should go to college if you deliberately know what skill you want, mm-hmm. not just going for the sake of going and hopefully it turns out okay. So at first she was like, I don't need to go. And my wife was like, okay, but you don't have a plan either. Yeah. So you can go. Um, if, if we were, if again, fortunate, um, if we were under a lot of debt, then I understand maybe her decision to wait a year. Um, but as a parent, it's easy to say, oh, you don't have to go. But when society looks at you, and then even when she was considering not going, because, you know, Ava had a very high GPA, the look of disapproval on people's like, oh, where are you going to go next year? I'm not sure if I want to go. Oh, huh. yeah. People don't know what to do with that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, you know, I've got two girls and then my youngest is a son um, that that I think it was harder also for girls Um because they're good students and, and um, going to college is the right thing to do or the proper thing to do. And so being a parent, all of a sudden, it was easier to say to other parents, oh, it's okay if your kids don't want to go. When it hit home, it was like a, but everybody else is. And that was tough. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? That sort of um, swimming with the stream and not asking the questions um, because this is what everyone else has done. I'm not just saying in the case of college with your children, but it's very easy just to follow the path that everyone else has followed because it's a very well trodden and well-worn path. Um, exactly. Yeah. Don, I'm really curious uh, just to quote you, and this is more parenting advice. I'll, um, I'll get in touch in about 10 years when my kids are starting to uh, think about what they're going to do at college. Um, but how as a parent and also as an educator, do you make sure that you create seekers and peekers and not moaners and groaners? How on earth do you do that? <sighs> Every, not every time <laughs> when they're, when they're complaining yeah, or worse yet, when you see people on TV complaining, yeah, ask them, well, then what would you do? Yeah. Great. So to unpack that, I, thank you for quoting maybe one of my favorite sayings. Yeah. Seekers and pickers and moaners and groaners, moaners and groaners are everybody that you hear complaining yeah. about stuff. Uh, seekers seek out opportunity. Peakers are the most hate to rank them peakers are the best because those are people that usually um, are like-minded they're seeking opportunities but they can peek around the corner they see what's coming next they listen to people and they start picking up on trends and peakers just are ahead of the game right like I, ironically enough we're, we're we're joking like my 12 year old is really starting to think about you know, NFTs and whether they're good for the environment or whether they're good for contracts and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, Grant, keep going with that. As a matter of fact, if you learn, I'm not positive what's all going on. So keep on learning, but that's peaking without a doubt that's peaking. And um, I just think it's really good. just as a parent too, of like, you know, getting caught like man, anger rallies people in the wrong way and rally and anger feels good. Um, and, and I'll share one other story. Um, one of one of our mentors, and he was on our board, and, and just a dear dear friend. Um, I'm sorry, no, he wasn't on our board. I was thinking of JT. Anyway, Jeff Hoffman's a, a good friend, um, and he had started a, a among other things. He one of his companies he started was Priceline.com. He co-founded, and so um, he made a lot of money um, early in life. And so here he was. Um, he even said he's like all of a sudden he didn't have very many friends because they were jealous and he was feeling sorry for himself. And he was watching the news one night and uh, it was about a battered women's shelter that was out of money. And they were telling the women they had a week to find someplace else to live. And so Jeff was 
watching that. And he goes, I was really annoyed. And I said to myself, man, they should do something about it. They shouldn't just report about it. They should do something about it. Then he realized there is no they. Like he was feeling sorry for himself that all of a sudden he had a lot of money. Well, he's like, I could literally just buy that women's shelter and they can never have to pay rent again. And that's what he did because there is no they. Wow. He was going to complain that someone else wasn't doing something. And he's like, dear God, man. Wow. So um, raising kids, if, 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 you know, oh, there's this going on in society or this societal problem or this problem, like, okay, what do you think a good solution is? Simple as that. And a good, you know, dining room conversation around that. Wow. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that story. It's really interesting. Um, Don, just a quick question. Uh, what are spark nights? And uh, why uh, were they such, why have they been so, um, had such an impact? So we kind of had, so really we have some programming uh, at the Started Up Foundation. Yeah. Again, yeah. this very strange class I started. Um, sort of an accidental class. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but so there were some neighboring schools that they didn't have that class. And there were some, you know, we got a fair amount of press out of it. And so we just kind of did these nights where um, we would go to either an employer that had a, like a cool tech hub or maybe a co-working space. And we would have these nights where students from as many different high schools as we could get, we would have a guest that night, which is usually a small deserving nonprofit. Ironically enough, I was talking about a battered women's shelter. That was one of our guests one night. Yeah, wow. And they just shared with us what their problem was. Um, and so our students would go and listen to it, ask some questions. We'd go into teams of about seven to 10 and go off different areas and whiteboard for 40 minutes. And then they have like a little mini pitch competition that night to help that nonprofit. And, um, just really great way to build ecosystem and, 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 um, capacity Fantastic. of students that getting them in that mindset of, I've heard somebody share me their problem. I'm going to break it down and brainstorm and get into that. How could I help you mentality? Fantastic. It, it sounds, uh, Don, it sounds so fascinating. I think your, your work, especially um, uh, with the Spark Nights, is just so, um, it's how education and learning should be, this collaboration and problem solving together. It's, it's, and it seems, the reason, one of the reasons why your work is so fascinating is because it, it, it it's, and respectfully, it seems so new and so obvious um, that we should, like, it, like it's not, I'm sure there's a lot of work that goes into it, but it like I think we just really complicate things so much. And oh man, so refreshing, yeah, to to hear your work. I a hundred thousand percent agree with you. Yeah. Sometimes people are like, "Oh man, that's just so out of the box." What you're doing, I'm like, I mean, I think it's the most common sense thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Give students time in the school day to learn the things that they want to learn or acquire skills they want to acquire, even though we may not teach it formally. Yeah, and. Don, I'm just interested, and this is purely um, hypothetical, um, but if you, were, if you were building an education system from the ground up, like regardless of socioeconomic status or geography or, or all of those things, like what do you think some of the essential qualities would be? Uh, Money is not an issue, uh, time is yeah. not an issue. If you could start again, what would some of the features be, you reckon? Um, I'm totally going to steal. No, I'm going to quote um, <laughs> one of my favorite persons that is Seth Godin. Yeah. Um, this was such a minimalist answer, but he said, all great education can be boiled down to two things, solving interesting problems and the leadership to get it done. In the words of uh, Mr. Godin, that's, that's all you need, isn't it? That's I, I mean, like, like pick a subject, you know, like, Solving interesting problems. Well, what is interesting? Ah, good discussion. What is interesting? There's a lot of interesting things in math instead of just teaching math for the sake of math yeah. or teaching social studies just for the sake of teaching social studies or humanities. There's a lot of interesting problems you can solve within it. But yeah. the leadership, hey, man, it's just like saying we have identified a problem. Yes, doing something about it is leadership. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of, I, I, I cannot fathom how many leadership books there are out there. And still it's like, why is it so damn hard? Yeah. Well, because we're not building leaders, we're building compliance, which I, there's several good reasons why compliance is still great too, but leadership and, you know, mm -hmm. isn't 
taught as often as I think. Yeah, also, I did have to quote, um, when you start talking about that, it's kind of common sense. I forget what philosopher said it, but like, there's like three stages of truth. Uh, first, it's ridiculed and made fun of. Second, it's like really opposed, like violently. I think it's like violently opposed. And then the third is, is it's accepted as being like, duh, it's of course. Yeah. So at first, like, and, and even when, when I, and I'm, and I'm not saying this in a self-congratulatory way, when I first started the, the innovation class, at first it was like, oh, that's cute. What, what do you have? Like a little, ooh, a little genius hour thing. And it was kind of made fun of. Then it started to catch the ire some and some not nice things were said. So it was opposed. And then after a while, I was like, well, of course you should have time for students to work on some of these things. That's obvious. So it seems like that stage is the truth. I, like the class went through it in no uncertain terms. Yeah, and, and it almost seems like that well, it would be the same people that ridicule the ones that eventually come around and say, oh, yeah, maybe you were onto something. Great. Really interesting. Um, we're obviously, uh, Don, in a really, uh, a really scary and also um, a really challenging time globally. Um, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic is continuing to, uh, to, to rage havoc around the world, and it's been a really uh, challenging time for so many people. Um, but I would just be interested to hear what, um, what you think the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us about the roles of schools and education, and oh. what's important, do you think, now? Um, the big question for uh, uh, yeah. 10 to 10 at night for you. So that, that it's okay to admit that uh, one of the most important parts of school is social. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, I, you know I, I remember people would say, well, sometimes like, oh, you guys are a glorified babysitter. Not necessarily, but like just them being there is essential part of it. Yeah. I think them being isolated that long has its own fallout. I think emotionally, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I have so much, like so much empathy for school leaders because damn if you do, damn if you don't, whatever you do, it's wrong. Yeah. Whatever you're trying, it's wrong. Cause half the population is going to be opposed yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, but, and I also think that there was a lot of parents that were listening in on the classes and going, this is what you do. Yeah. Um, like, like that's what you guys did when you were in school. Like you guys just filled out a word search. Yeah, that's it. And 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 again, I'm I'm like I'm generalizing, but there were some parents that were like, "Wait a second. Uh, and then conversely, there may have been some parents that are listening, like, "Damn, school is harder than what I remember." Um, <laughs> but I I think that what we're teaching and why we're teaching is now uh, under the microscope. My fear is there was a lot of talk of, okay, what do we really need to do? What's really going to move the needle? Um, but I think that there's this desire to return back to normal at like, just return back to normal that I think we're going to, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm fearing that like in that hope of please let everything go back that we're going to list, we're going to miss some of the lessons we could have picked up along the way. And, and one of which is, are we innovating? Are we truly preparing our students for the future. Yeah. The other good part of it though that came out is is that man, our students became awfully good stewards of digital technologies and learning how to remote work. Mm. If remote working is going to get more popular and we've been talking about this before the pandemic, man, our kids are experts now. Yeah. Um so but yeah, there's 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 an ugly side to it that's on the social emotional thing and Yeah. It's are you um, are you optimistic? Um, and I don't think I think I know the answer to this, considering how passionate you are about education. Um, but are you optimistic about uh, that we can learn from this, or do you think we are going to kind of return to well-trodden paths? Um, to quote another politician, "It's the economy, stupid." Of course, we'll learn. Yeah, we'll we'll either learn like. You know, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of change here recently that makes me really excited. There's a lot of schools here in the United States that are colleges that are like, you know what, you don't have to take the SAT anymore. Yeah. Um, but no matter what, whether some things completely get phased out um, and it's off the backs of a lot of heartbreak that you're always going to learn. Yeah. I, I just hope that the feedback loops are tighter yeah. and that people are able to. 
um, make quicker decisions and not necessarily cling to just tradition or the way it used to be. Yeah. Uh, Don, that it seems like a, a wonderful place uh, to wrap up our, up our conversation. I mean, we have talked about so many things. I mean, your work is endlessly fascinating. We couldn't possibly um, do a deep dive into everything. But what I will do is put uh, links to all of your um, resources and, and different platforms in the show notes um, so that people can reach out and, um, and get in contact with you. But I am incredibly grateful for the work that you're doing and thank you for being um, such an inspiration from afar. And the more, um, the more I uh, look at and, and um, engage in your work, the more questions I have for, the, uh, for what our role is as educators. And, it, and it's such a, uh, thank you for being such a, um, a positive uh, voice in that space. So I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. Oh, let me put it back to you and say, maybe my last axiom is um, we want producers, not just consumers. And I wish that everybody had their own podcast, um, no matter who you're interviewing, when, when there's great conversations and you can record them, even if two people are listening to it, I've just enjoyed tonight's conversation. I mean, obviously you have a bigger audience than just two people, but you know, the, like, I think some of our problems are going to be solved by thinking out loud and having great conversations. And the fact that you're pressing record and sharing it with others, I'm grateful. And I'm sure a lot of people that listen to your show are as well. So thank you so much for being a producer. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com and I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.